in this edition of Hoopsology, we welcome Yahoo Sports Canada's Iman Adin to discuss her impressions of the Toronto Raptors' start to the season, Pascal Siakam's injury, the unselfishness of Scotty Barnes, the culture around the Toronto Raptors, and much, much more. Please note this podcast was recorded November 8th of 2022. Please email your questions to hoopsologypod at gmail.com and follow us on all social media platforms. We are a proud member of the Underdog Podcast Network. And now, Iman Adam. She is the co-host of the Dishes and Dimes podcast. She is also a contributor to Yahoo Sports Canada. We welcome Iman Adam onto Hoopsology. How's it going, Iman? Good, good. How are you? Doing really well. Thanks for joining us and always excited to talk about the Toronto Raptors. We've had previous guests with just a lot of knowledge about the team. I think they're one of the most fascinating teams of recent memory. So I just want to get kind of your insight on how they're doing. And I want to start off with Pascal Siakam. Uh, Matt and I are fairly familiar with him because uh, he went to New Mexico State. We're originally from um, New Mexico. So he kind of has like a special interest with Matt and I. So um, currently he's hurt um, just before his injury. He was averaging about um, almost 26 points a game, almost 10 rebounds, almost eight assists. Um, really off to a hot start. But, you know, with this injury, you know, it kind of threw a wrench in the plans of what the, the Raptors were, you know, planning for the early parts of the season. So how has the team adapted to kind of this, you know, early hurdle into the season? Um, yeah, it's only it's only been two games. They've only really played the Chicago Bulls without him um, having that home and home, which is terrible setup. I hated NBA, um, but it's it's going to be quite a bit of adjustment for the Toronto Raptors team because he is so much of this Raptors offense. Um, and we saw that in, I would say, especially that second game against the Chicago Bulls where the Raptors lost it. And the reason they lost it was, one, defensively, they didn't have it. Um, and I would say in terms of in terms of um, being able to tread water without Pascal Siakam, you would expect the Raptors to be able to do that defensively more so than offensively because they have so many similarly sized players who can switch two through five basically um and and so just because they have a lot of people who are also six nine just like a pascal siakam with a seven you know two wingspan or whatever it may be um who are incredibly versatile defensively they should be able to withstand that we did not see that in the chicago bulls game but a large part of that is because their offense was so terrible and that's where they're really 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 going to miss pascal for starters they don't have much of a half court offense (laughs) it just does not they don't have much of that but if there's someone on the team that you sort of trust to be able to create something it has been Pascal Siakam um, and Fred and Bleed as well. So it's, it's great to have him back just with his outside shooting alone. Um, and he is the team's still best playmaker, but Pascal's really been able to be the guy to create something out of nothing for this team. Um, I didn't watch him in New Mexico State. Don't watch uh, any college basketball, but I do know from like the beginning of Pascal's career to right now in terms of his self-creation and creation for others. I mean, he's been averaging, you said eight assists, right? Like has just tenfold from what he was you know at the start of his NBA career at the very least and the Raptors are really going to miss that and the one thing that he did do really well coming into this league was just leak out right like he's so great in transition and something that the Raptors saw against the Chicago Bulls is for the first time the Raptors lead the league in transition points and led them I'm pretty sure last year as well that's just how they score 
they were so bad at transition yesterday. And it's like, oh yeah, someone who pushes the pace, someone who's either leaking out and getting that basket there or throwing an outlet pass because he's he's so good at doing that as well is a guy like Pascal Siakam. Pushing the pace with the ball is Pascal Siakam. And so uh, I just think offensively, um, their inability to get into transition sets, I think that's something that Scott, I'm talking so fast, you guys. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I think that's something that Scott is going to... Um, uh, he, he looks hurt right now, but I think that's something that Scotty can do. Um, so I, I have belief there, but we just saw it with their transition offense, their half court offense last night. It was just all bad. And when you don't score, you're giving up easy transition baskets the other way. And although I trust the Raptors defense in the half court, um, and I do trust the Raptors transition defense, it tired legs really, really quickly when you're short of body and you already have, um, a, a small rotation so we just saw all of the bad that can happen in one game against the Chicago Bulls yesterday um, and then the first game they played against Chicago we saw kind of how they can tread water which is force turnovers push the pace that's it so with the east you know becoming deeper in, in recent years and I think this year becoming indicative of that if Pascal if Pascal is out like after the all-star break and you know the Raptors are jostling for a position you know with within the middle of the Eastern Conference how confident are you in the Raptors ability to, to fix these these issues that you're seeing now do you think the concerns that you just raised do you think these will be correctable by the the all-star break or do you do you think there'd be lingering concerns that will kind of you know could possibly haunt the raptors through the rest of the season if pascal's out for that long uh, this is not going to be a fun year for the toronto raptors um i think they can withstand a lot of injuries just because they, like i said they do have similarly sized guys i don't think pascal siakam is one of those guys that they can sort of withstand an injury to he has been their best player at bar none um and they're like luckily they said right now the timetable is only a couple of weeks I think he'll be reevaluated in two weeks so I'm hoping he comes back much sooner than that um but I think I think last season is kind of a, a great example of what the Raptors can be if you know Raptor fans are looking to how does this team tread water without Pascal because they were able to do that when he was rehabbing from his uh shoulder surgery last year and that was OG Ananobi really taking another step um offensively and we saw that in parts and it's still, it's still a work in progress with OG. I think, um, you know, he maybe gets a little bit of a blame for having kind of a Jalen Brown handle uh, and that he just loses it quite a bit, which Jalen Brown has improved. So maybe I shouldn't be using that reference, but um, it, he, I think OG's uh, ability to lead this team will really come with having floor spaces around him. And I don't think he has enough of that. And he isn't as slippery. He doesn't have that spin move. He isn't as unstoppable in the half court as Pascal because his handle is just not as tight and so I I don't know how the Raptors really replicate the production that Pascal gives them if it's not OG Ananobi and I know people are going to point to Scotty and Scotty's really got to step up I thought he had you know I might be clouded a little bit by recency bias because he's coming off of his worst game of the season, but Scotty's also only 21. So for as great as I think Scotty is, I don't know that he's going to be able to be your all-star and your all-NBA player uh, like Pascal is in just his second season. I think he'll have games and I think he'll have moments, but 
you know, we're also seeing a Scotty that is a little hesitant to get inside the paint. We're also seeing a Scotty that's, you know, not really, he's taking kind of these point guard duties, but not quite there in terms of time management, in terms of looking when he makes a pass. He loves a no-look pass, but like sometimes you gotta look because <laughs> uh, there's a lot of unforced turnovers and his game is still growing. And I think Scotty can do a lot. He just can't replicate what Pascal does for you today. I think the hope is that he'll be able to do that soon. Um, so w- without Pascal, I think this team is just, they're going to need a lot from OG. They're going to need a lot from Scotty. Those are the two guys that I would really look to. Cause I think Fred is just your all-star. And I think that's just going to be consistent with him and Gary, his role is kind of consistent with this team. And for as great as I love OG and, and Scotty, I just don't know that they're at the Pascal levels right now. So I want to backtrack because full disclosure here, I've, I whiffed on projecting what the Raptors were going to be last season. And, and they were a very pleasant surprise in the league. And, and just wanted to ask you as someone who covers the team and follows the team regularly, watches them more frequently than probably most our listeners. What is kind of their, their strategy and, and how is a team that quite frankly, you know, basketball fans likely know the name Pascal Siakam by now, but might not know like Fred Van Vliet, um, maybe haven't gotten to watch Scotty Barnes play much yet. How have they been so successful? And right now, even with that recent injury, sitting fifth in a very, very deep and competitive East, how have they been able to have that success? Um, yeah, yeah, they're top 10 in offense and defense. They're one of only four teams in the entire league to do that. Um, mm. they're, they're a team that's relentless. They are, like I say, the, the try hardiest team in the league. And this is a, a point that William Liu made on his show, um, for, for Sportsnet today, um, which, which I thought was really, um, I thought it was a really great point about why the Raptors, why home and homes don't really work well for the Raptors. I talked about hating them earlier and they split it with Chicago. They also split it with Miami this year. It's because the Raptors are not a team most people prepare to play. You know, it's like you kind of play them and you're like, oh, God, they're just beating us up. They are the try hardiest team you'll ever see. They are relentless. <laughs> like Nick Nurse will say, you know, full court press. And you're like, it's the second quarter in a game in January. You don't need to be trying this hard. But that's what the Raptors do. And I think on any given night, it, they it's it overwhelms the other team. They are bruisers. They also have an entire roster of guys built just like Pascal Siakam. And that is a mismatch disaster for any team that they're going up against. And I think why the home and home is such an issue and what William Lou's point was is on that second night, you're kind of prepared for this team. You're kind of like, oh, this is what they want to do. They're going to try and force the ball out of my hands. You're going to try, they're going to crash the boards and I'm going to need to play with this level of intensity. And you're kind of more prepared for it in the second night that I think it's you know easier to split that. Um, and I think that's a very fair point. That's kind of how I see the Raptors winning a lot of games. You know, like they have a great record against the Bucks in recent years. They've got a great record against the Sixers and all these teams that people would peg as better than them. Uh, and I think a large part of that is their physicality and their um, and the effort with which they play kind of shocks teams on a given night. You're just, I, I like to listen to opposing broadcasts when I watch Raptor games uh, as, much, as often as I can. And I think I'm always hearing just how surprised the um, <laughs> the opposing broadcast is at one, the sheer size of the Raptors, and also like 
the the intensity with which they play. Um, and that's how the Raptors are able to be as good as they are. They force a ton of tor- turnovers. Um, OG right now is averaging well over three steals. I think Fred had been at the time, at one point it was Fred and OG that were the number one and number two in terms of forcing st- uh, forcing turnovers and getting steals. You know, Gary was like leading the league in deflections for a good chunk of last year as well. They, um, that's what they do. They force a ton of turnovers. And then you have guys with six, nine, um, who are 6'9", with 7 feet wingspans, running the length of a court in transition, who is going to be able to stop that? And all of those guys can handle the ball, so you'll see Precious running a fast break. You'll see OG running a fast break, or Pascal, and it's just like, it's too much, I think, for teams to uh, overcome on a one-on-one basis. That's why I think they're a better regular season team than they are uh, a playoff team. Um, it's just, it surprises guys, and they play with such intensity, and they're just hard to match up with on any night. Yeah, another thing you notice, you know, just at a quick glance at the Raptors roster is that there's only two players on that roster that are 30 or older. So do you think that strategy is, I mean, you mentioned the great versatility that they have, um, the length that they have. Do you think they also play that way simply as factor of the age of the players that they have? Yeah, this is an incredibly young team. And, you know, Pascal is one of the oldest players on the court, but I mean, he has an engine that will never die out. Uh, so they they just have young legs and they're way more energized. It's why, like the Raptors, I said they're top 10 in offense. This is not a good offensive team. There's no reason for them to be, um, except the fact that they crashed the glass. They were second in offensive rebounds last year, just behind the Grizzlies. Um and, you know, the, it's the same thing that the Grizzlies do. It's, a, it's a very sort of similar of just I'm going to have more energy and I'm going to because, I mean, think about the Grizzlies record without John Morant. It wasn't that they were out talenting teams. It was the fact that they were outworking teams. And that's the Raptors kind of that's their bread and butter. That's what they do. That's kind of the, the goal is I'm going to outwork you. And I'm also probably bigger and stronger than you um, because, you know, your two guard is probably six, nine at any given time with some of these lineups that Nick Nurse throws out. Yeah, I love that you bring up the Grizzlies. Cause I, I was just about to ask you if their Western <laughs> comp <laughs> team would be the Grizzlies. So that's perfect. Yeah. Um, with this injury to Pascal. And like you said, we got to see where he is in a couple weeks here, but do you see the Raptors as a team that, I mean, of course, they're developing a lot of talent on this roster. We just mentioned the youth movement there. But do you see this as a team that could potentially be active at the trade deadline in a few months here? Um, yeah, honestly. And I think it comes down to the fact that Gary Trent Jr. has a player option. Mm. And he most certainly is going to become a free agent um, because the Raptors got him on such a sweet deal for the team and not for Gary. Um, He deserves to get paid and I think he's going to opt out. And that's going to force the Raptors' hands. And I don't know if they're committed to paying him long term because you're looking around at this team and you're like, you need Gary because Gary can hit a shot and you're looking around at the rest of the roster. There aren't very many guys who can do that. Um, but he also, in terms of like, you know, he's the weakest defender in the starting lineup. He's also one of the only guys that isn't six, nine outside of Fred Van Vliet, who is the heart and soul of his team. So, you know, he's obviously going to be a staple who stays. Um, but Gary might not fit with what the Raptors are doing long-term. I think in terms of Gary's skill set, there are lots of two guards who can 
like I think every single one of the threes that he's taken this season is a catch and shoot. Like none of them have been off the dribble. You can find guys like that in the league. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Raptors didn't want to pay him this summer. And that might mean making a move and making a trade at the deadlines. I wouldn't be totally shocked if that was something that happened. But Masai's also very patient. He doesn't make a lot of those. Unless it's, you know, to get Marcus Olin win a championship. He's not doing that quite often. <laughs> Um, I want to circle back to Scotty Barnes and you just mentioned his development just earlier in the season. Can you kind of shed some light into what his mentality has been coming into this season? You know, he's you know, rookie of the year, a lot of attention. He's part of an exciting rookie class. Even this year, we've seen like a new wave of just kind of young players. Is he feeling more pressure just considering the success of last season? You know, there's always from some fans, the feelings of a sophomore slump. Do, do you get the sense that he's dealing with any kind of mental hurdles or do you think he, his mentality was he was ready to go by the time the season started? I, I certainly think that he was ready to go by the time the season started. I mean, um, Scott, Scotty is, Scotty is as relentless as this team is, right? Like he kind of just plays with this joy. He, you know, for as young as the Raptors are, he kind of really is the, the baby on the team. Like he's very young in terms of his energy and keeping it up. Um, but I, I think the interesting thing about Scotty is he's kind of your starting center and your backup point guard. He is both. <laughs> He'll start at point guard uh, when Fred Van Vliet is out. Fred was hurt for um, a couple of games uh, with a back injury, uh, back soreness, I should say. And so um, Scotty was your starting point guard. And that has been a completely new role that the Raptors, I mean, he did it a little bit last year, but that has been a new role that the Raptors are really trying with him this season. Last year, he was fifth on the Raptors in terms of usage percentage. So he was the fifth starter, literally. And this year, he's second behind only Pascal Siakam. So the ball was really in his hands more, and the Raptors are asking him to do a lot more. Um, he started at center until Christian Coloco, the Raptors' uh, first uh, second-round pick this year, uh, took that spot once Fred went hurt. Um, or Yeah, Fred uh, sat out with an injury. But um, so yeah, I think with Scotty, it's just like, can you can you play make and can you facilitate? That's kind of the question with Scotty. I mean, he can. The answer to that is yes. But getting him those reps, um, that's something that the Raptors are really trying right now. And that's, I think, where Scotty's kind of always been that guy. I, I remember uh, doing uh, interviewing David Thorpe, Coach Thorpe, who knows Scotty really well. Their, their kids both went to um, school with each other. And so um, and we're on the same team. And so he had a bunch of uh, Scotty stories and one of them that I thought was really interesting. I shouldn't say no Scotty well. He couldn't meet him because it was a pandemic. But um, he, he had this Scotty story that I thought was really interesting um, where, I don't remember the details, but um, it, they, they were asked to do sort of reps. It, this is back when he was in uh, college and he was asked to do some reps and he needed to score a certain amount of points in order to like be done the rep. I should probably know the details of this, but um, he was asked to do a uh, score some baskets and he like went to his coach and was like, oh, do assist count as well? Just like if, if someone scores it, does that also count towards me? Which is kind of Scotty's mindset, which is like very, very unselfish, very much 
passing the ball and getting others involved. It's something that he does really well. I think his and OG's chemistry has been absolutely superb this season. In the offseason, Scotty Scotty said that his favorite player to play with is OG Ananobi. If he could play with any player, uh, past or present, who would he pick? And he said OG Ananobi. And they were like, you know, Michael Jordan exists. And he was like, OG, I'm going to take OG. So um, we're, we're starting to see that on the court as well. Scotty is incredibly unselfish. And it's like, when you're six nine, you're taller than everybody else that is around you, and you're making those passes and you're making those reads and you have the ability to do that. When you're six nine and you're running the court and you're sprinting and you you, you know you're the primary ball handler in moments, like that's really fun to watch. So Scotty's growth is going to be um, is tons of fun. And watching it this season, yeah, there's some laps sometimes. Yeah, there's some you know errant passes that he makes, but um, for the most part. His um his goal this season is to become that playmaker and to become that point guard for this Raptors team. And I think he's done a pretty good job um, so far. We're like two weeks in and I think that like we're starting to see the growth and we're starting to see it come together. Yeah, and it seems like given the injury to Pascal, I mean, you're certainly not wanting to dip too much in the East standings, but it's a good opportunity to have like a third play creator, you know, getting Scotty that experience. Wanted he might to be ask hobbled you... too right now, though, so that's a problem because he yeah. he hasn't been as aggressive. He's kind of laboring a little bit. There might be an ankle issue there too, so hopefully he's healthy because stuff. Yeah, can't take any more injuries for sure. Um, wanted to ask you about Fred Van Vliet because. The situation at the point guard position, I think, was so unique when you go from you mentioned earlier that he's the heart and soul of that team, which I find fascinating because he he took that on after Kyle Lowry, who is the heart and soul of that team for years and years and beloved by that franchise. Um, he, he really took that upon himself after he left. Can you describe just from your perspective? I mean, I I can't think of any other situation off the top of my head where players at the same position like this go from becoming that heart of the team or that team leader after the player that was starting ahead of them or working alongside them. Cause I know they played minutes together, but um, can you just describe that sort of transition of power and how they were able to do that um, so fluidly from Kyle Lowry's departure to now? Honestly, it's something I've never seen either. It, like it, I, I don't even know how to like completely articulate it because you know Fred comes in undrafted, um, is the third point guard in in terms of like the the um, rotation uh, behind Delon Wright. Delon Wright is kind of Kyle's backup point guard, and then you have Fred Van Vliet come in, and then of course you know. After DeLon Wright, it becomes Fred's spot. Then they play together in the starting lineup. And I would say when Fred came in, he was less of a point guard, more of a shooting guard. And I still think he is a shooting guard uh, at heart, which is why they were able to play together. The Raptors played Kyle and Fred together in the starting lineup as your one and two, the smallest backcourt in the league. Um, and it watching him become this is something that I was not expecting, to be completely honest. It's very Kyle Lowry-esque. It's very reminiscent of him. And I like he came from the school of Kyle. If he could like if if there were classes being taken, that would be the only thing that kind of makes sense. Like it's very much the school of Kyle Lowry in the way that he operates, even in the game. Um, 
they're both excellent shooters, although I'll say Fred is a better shooter. Kyle's a, a, a better playmaker. Kyle's, you know, a better driver and kicker. Like, he can kind of do a little bit more. Uh, their games are a little bit different in that sense, but they're both kind of built very stocky. You can't post either one of them up. They, um, you know, it, like, but on the court, there is certain differences, sure, but off the court and even to the heart of this team, like, it... it it's very clear that he came under the tutelage of Lowry and that Lowry sort of passed down everything to him so much so that like, like one of his running jokes is that Kyle Lowry just absolutely destroys the Utah jazz. And like, especially the second half, like there's, I don't know what it is about Utah and Kyle and Fred Van Vliet last year, the second half scored 17 straight points against them. And it was like, see, like this comes from the school of Kyle. Like there is something here uh, that's just been passed down. It's, it's, it's interesting, but he is very much the heart and soul of this team. Very similar to how Kyle Lowry was. Kyle Lowry is my favorite basketball player of all time. Like there's no one that I would rank higher in terms of who I loved and who I think is underappreciated. And I think both of them kind of have been underappreciated in their entire careers. Uh, Fred, of course, being undrafted. Uh, Kyle, you know, being drafted by the Memphis Grizzlies and then having Conley picked right after, like in the following year and kind of supplanting him. Similar thing happening in Houston with Goran Dragic and really just trying to find a home and trying to find a place where he can like sort of cement himself and believing like I am good enough to be an all-star, I'm good enough to be all-NBA. And it wasn't until he came to the Raptors that he, you know, made all NBA teams and made all-star teams. And I think that like, that's a similar sort of trajectory for Fred. Of course, he didn't bounce around the league. He's been with the Raptors the entire time, but he was overlooked. He wasn't drafted. And it was because of his size. (laughs) And they both kind of have a lot of the same, a lot of the same kind of um, shots that have been made against them. They can kind of relate to that. So I'm sure it's a lot of that as well. Um, but yeah, I, I like it's it's been really fun to watch Fred VanVleet kind of become Kyle Lowry Jr. Yeah, I guess to go like in the Wayback Machine, you know, maybe like a, a fair sort of comparison would be David Robinson and Tim Duncan. But that's, you know, two centers, two bigs. And and back in the late 90s, you know, they're able to play side by side. They won a championship like right away together. Tim right. Duncan yeah. and Tim Duncan right away. You Pretty know? cozy. <laughs> um, but I, I can't, I mean, I can think of, you know, like quarterbacks, you get like the new rookie quarterback and the veteran quarterback like coaches them up. I can't think of too many situations where, you know, point guards slash combo guards, like these guys were able to do it like this. So it's really cool to see. And that there was, there's like this brotherly love and not really um, to my knowledge anyway, like friction or, or panic yeah. about sure. having these other guards on the roster. No, no, I would say that like, and I honestly would credit a lot of that to DeMar DeRozan. Um, mm. When we talk about like Raptors culture, I think a lot of it starts with Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan, but like Kyle's a little persnickety. Um, <laughs> it's it's DeMar that like is is kind of like, I, I think was very much the heart. Uh, Kyle is very, I would say the heart on the court. He leaves everything out on the court, which is what Fred does as well. Like it's very much the heart on the court. Whereas I think a lot of the culture that exists, it was DeMar who was going to the G League games and watching Pascal and Fred there. Mm. Um, and, and Kyle went as well. I, I don't want to say that Kyle didn't go, but it was, it was very much Kyle and DeMar, I would say, together. I want to give them both credit. And uh, DeMar kind of taking the young guys under his wing, right? Because it was Terrence Ross was drafted. And it was like, are you going to replace DeMar? And DeMar's like, there's no competition or anything like that. You know, Rudy Gay comes in. Is he going to replace DeMar? DeMar became best friends with Rudy. So I, I very much think that, like, the 
as opposed to it being competition for spot, just like being family that kind of play together, which sounds really cheesy when you're talking about coworkers uh, on a <laughs> basketball team. But I do think that that was DeMar DeRozan. I think that that was his entire approach with everything. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that's kind of continued. Um, you mentioned DeMar, so I, I can't resist since he's playing with the Bulls now. Um, he recently got his 20,000 point. I, I just think his game is totally un- underrated in, in the history of the league. Where do you see his development just with the Bulls? I know he had a couple of rough years with the San Antonio Spurs, but he seems to be really thriving in a new environment in Chicago. What's your impressions of him just within the last couple of years? Yeah, I I think... I, I like I love Demar. Okay, <laughs> like as a Raptor fan, I was, um, but I I've always been kind of harder on him uh, in in his Raptor years, and I think that like one thing about Demar Derozan is I like it's it's hard to see someone who is an All Star and an All NBA player still improve their game every single year of their career. He's in his thirties and he's still improving his game every single year. And something that he did in his final year here at the Raptors is beyond ball. And part of that was because of limitation. You didn't shoot threes. Well, you gotta, mm-hmm. we gotta put you on ball because you know teams are ignoring you um, because you're not going to be spacing the floor. And he took that on and became a playmaker, which is something he was not at all in the early parts of the, his career. You know, people calling him a black hole on offense and things like oh, that. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was kind of like yeah, wow. that was that was I kind of Demar in yeah. like twenty at twenty three at twenty four yeah. even in his career. And and in San Antonio, kind of quietly behind the scenes, um, because it was not a great team, he, he really did improve his playmaking and really did improve his ball handling. And we're seeing that in Chicago. He comes to Chicago. Now it's bright lights. Now it's a bigger market, um, playing alongside Zach Levine. And he has, I think, like, I think his game, I, I think you said it, he's so underappreciated. And that's because in this analytics movement that's happened he's not taking threes and he's not a great defender and i think people devalue what he brings because he doesn't hit those two marks uh and what he brings is incredibly valuable which is why he was considered the worst off-season acquisition just a year ago and then finished top five in mvp voting like what he brings is valuable even if it isn't what you know like even if it isn't the threes in the defense, because like as someone who I love Kyle Lowry, like I'm, the analytics movement is wild. Like I don't think anyone can be a stats nerd and not love Kyle Lowry. Um, but having said that, what DeMar DeRozan brings is so important and it's it's the shot making. The Raptors just doubled him a ton in the first game and the passes that he was making, you're not going to be, there's not going to be um, a stat for the hockey assist, you know, the pass that leads to the pass. Um, and he's so unselfish at doing that. He's so uh, like so incredibly talented at being able to read the defense and make the right read at the right time, which is something that I think he struggled with, quite frankly, in his time here in Toronto and has improved so much uh, either quietly in San Antonio or his time now uh, with Chicago. I, I think like I, I love Demar. I'm really happy for him. I'm happy he's on a good team, still under, you know, appreciated. I thought people probably had them out of the play in or playoffs this year too. And it looks like they're going to be right there in the mix. And that's kind of what Demar does. People count him out, but he's always right there. Uh, last question before I let you go. Just want to get your perspective on the the rest of the Eastern Conference. There's been lots of drama, certainly with Boston and Brooklyn. Um <laughs> It's really 
not surprising with Milwaukee Bucks showing their dominance. Um, drama going on with the 76ers as well. Um, where do you see kind of the, the conference playing out? Because I was talking to Matt. I mean, even the you know the teams that have no chance of making the, the playing tournament like the Orlando Magic, they're fun to watch on like a nightly basis with Paulo. So where, where, where are your expectations of the conference? Have they exceeded them, not exceeded them? Anything that surprised you at all? Um, yeah, no, I mean, the East is fun. The East is really good, which is, which is a, a fun change. I honestly, Milwaukee kind of surprised. I know that like they're at the top and I kind of expected them to still be at the top. Giannis is Giannis, but I didn't expect that Brooke Lopez would be Brooke Lopez. And that's kind of been the surprise to me. I thought, yeah, Milwaukee's good, but they're aging out. <laughs> like Giannis is young, but all of those guys around him aren't. And I, I was really sort of focusing in, yes, you know, George Hill's obviously older, uh, Drew Holiday's older, you know, Chris Middleton's still injured, but older as well. Um, but I was really focusing in on Brooke Lopez, uh, especially when I said that, because he's so integral to what their defense does. The reason why they were middle of the pack defensively last year is because Brooke Lopez was hurt for the majority of last season. And they just didn't have anyone on the back line to really execute the, the, the drop that they do. And so I thought, you know, you're overextending Giannis in that way. Bobby Portis is not the defender that Brooke Lopez is. And like, if Miami, I mean, if Miami, if Milwaukee doesn't have the defense that puts them at the top of the league, I just don't know that they're as scary as they have been in years past. It kind of looked to me like their window was starting to close. And now we have Brooke Lopez looking as good as ever. <laughs> like he has not missed a step. And their defense is better than it has ever been because not only do they have the drop that's shutting guys down because they have a big guy right down low, but they also are taking away the threes, which is something that they've given up uh, quite a bit before so their perimeter defense is better and um, they just look insane to me I'm like oh okay if Brooke Lopez is going to be this and Giannis is going to be your MVP this team looks terrifying uh, and Cleveland has just been spectacular too so that's another team that's been a lot of fun yep. a lot of a lot of fun to watch Donovan Mitchell on an absolute tear and um, it's exciting to kind of watch oddly built teams as a fan of an uh, the Raptors as someone who covers an oddly built team I love watching other uh weirdly built teams I wrote a piece for basketball news last year and um it was really focusing in on the Cavs and the Roth, uh the Raptors and how they're sort of zigging when other teams zag with their odd bills Orlando a team you mentioned is kind of one that could be put into that article as well and so those are my favorite teams to really watch um and yeah so like Cleveland Milwaukee uh those those have been the two teams that have really excited me so far in the Eastern Conference yeah, let me follow up on Cleveland because I, I do find them fascinating. And right after the Donovan Mitchell trade was made, I I kind of said like, well, maybe potentially home court first round team would be kind of their ceiling. We're seeing great things from them early on. Uh, I know it's early. Granted, you know, things can implode. Things can change fast in the NBA, as we've seen with lots of teams right now. But what do you see as as kind of their ceiling if if things are going well? I mean, is this a team that can get to the Eastern Conference Finals or beyond? Yeah, that's a good question. I think I was right there with you with where I was projecting them. And I, I kind of looked at the Donovan Mitchell trade as like, you know, he's 26. Everybody else on their team is under that, basically. And I'm like, you know, except yeah. for the bench with the Kevin Love. Now, I kind of looked at that team as like, they've made this Donovan Mitchell move, not necessarily to be a conference finals team today, but to be one in a couple of years, right? 
and they look like they're ready for it right now. But I, I still don't know. Once the playoffs come around, the East has so many big wings, right? Like, I, we didn't even mention Jason Tatum, who's having a phenomenal yeah, season as true. well. Yeah. Um, uh, you've got Jason Tatum. You have Giannis. You have – the Raptors have a, a, a trillion of them. There are way too many big wings. Uh, you know, we see it with Jimmy Butler. There's just a lot of them in the Eastern Conference. And for as great as the Cavs' backcourt is, for as great as the Cavs' frontcourt is, they still don't have a three, right? Like, um, like it's True. still going to be an issue for them. And I think it's especially an issue in today's NBA, considering uh, look around, like, what are you going to do to Jason Tatum? What are you going to do to Giannis? And like, yes, Evan Mobley can hang out on the perimeter, but the Raptors were the one game that the Cavs lost this season. And um, Darius Garland did go down partway through that game. But even in the time that he was playing, Darius Garland looked to really be troubled with the amount of length that the Raptors are able to throw out. And granted, it was the first game of the season. Um, but something that I did note was whoever the Raptors had at three or whoever the Cavs had at three, the Raptors were attacking because the Raptors could play a bunch of six. They could play five, six, nine guys at, a give, at any given time. Right. They could put five guys on the court together and. Dean Wade, you know, he was fine. He hit a lot of shots, but they were still going to attack him. And um, Isaac Okoro looked really, really poor in that game. And granted, first game of the season. And it was because they were attacking him. And I, I thought to myself, oh, this is going to be a long year for the, the Cavs if, like, this is going to be how, you know, the Jason Tatums and the Pascal Siakams and the, the big wings of this league kind of operate against them and they beat the Celtics twice so that kind of bodes well for the sort of changes happening there but um I do think in a playoff series that's still going to be a major hole for them and it'll be interesting to see how they can um fix that up this has been a fantastic chat thank you very much for joining us can you please let our viewers and listeners know where they can find you on social media and then any other projects you're working on for the rest of the year as well uh, yeah, so you can find me on uh, Twitter at Iman, which is spelled I-M-M-A-N underscore Adan, A-D-A-N. Um, so that's my Twitter handle, which is where I'm most active. And um, I am hoping to have a piece soon uh, on Pascal Siakam and his rise. So hopefully he can return quickly and that can that can get going because um, I, I do plan on having a video essay about that. And I just put up a not too long ago, a video essay on the Toronto Raptors and how they're patiently building. So while the Hawks made their big move and the Cavs made their big move, the Raptors could feel like they were right there in the mix with those teams and didn't have to give up any assets to do so. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you very much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thank you.